This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show, the little sex show disguised as a health show, quite frankly. Hi, I'm Maureen McGrath, registered nurse and sexpert. Uh, that is the cue to put your children to bed. Uh, the benefits of sex raise from slashing stress levels to decreasing your risk of chronic illness. The benefits of good health means your relationship and sex life just might improve. Sex facilitates bonding and feelings of intimacy, which does more than make you feel warm and fuzzy. It boosts your overall health. If you have a question for me tonight, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Tonight on the program, we are talking about things you can do if you want to have a happy marriage. Also, breakup coach Nancy Ruth Dean joins me. So we're going to be talking about why breaking up is so hard to do. And poker faces. Who has a better poker face, men or women, when they cheat? And it's summertime, so it's time for that picnic spread. What's that all about? Remember, put those children to bed. Maybe not. Tonight on the program, Mama Sutra joins me, and she wants you to rethink how you educate your children about sex. In fact, she wants you to teach your children about sexuality. Think you can blame your parents for the troubles in your life? Think again. Some new research on that. Bye-bye, Freud. Also, criminal behavior of men. Let's just call it that, all right? That's coming up toward the end of the program. And right now, 2 to 5% of the population have this. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Okay. Uh, Occasionally, as a registered nurse or as a nurse continence advisor, more specifically, um, I go into people's homes. I do home visits. And uh, in particular, around bladder and bowel health, I have a bit of a dream to go in and view how people are treating one another, but that's another segment. (laughs) So do some sexual health visits uh, for Netflix or something. You know, anyway, put it out there. I'm going to put it out there. Um, But sometimes I go into these homes and quite frankly, there are people who are living in conditions that may be surprising to some of you. I went into a gentleman's home a couple of years ago and literally there was a pathway cleared for me to get through. There were also a number of cats. Um, there was kitty litter all over the place. Um, you know, it, it, they were challenging conditions. I also sometimes go into homes where the person is elderly, uh, no longer able to care for themselves. They have plenty of money, but somebody else has the power of attorney over them. And so that person who is has the power of attorney sometimes gets confused and thinks that because they have the power of attorney over their mother's money or their father's money, that they think of it as their inheritance. But it's not. That money is actually to be used for people so that they can get the appropriate care that they need. Uh, in terms of a caregiver, so somebody to help them with activities of daily living or somebody to help them go out shopping or somebody to help them clean up should they have an accident or somebody to help them wash their clothing. Uh, So there are lots of things that I've seen that are 
surprising. Two to five percent of the population have a hoarding disorder. And it's a very challenging disorder. It's, it's defined as persistent difficulty discarding or parting with possessions because of a perceived need to save them. People experience distress at the thought of getting rid of these items. And so therefore, they accumulate an excessive amount of items, whether they have any value or not. It creates cramped living conditions, and I have witnessed a fair bit of that in homes that may be filled with capacity. Sometimes a second bedroom is just loaded um, from the floor to the ceiling with desks and books and papers and and stacks and stacks of clutter. Countertops may be completely cluttered. Uh, drawers may be overflowing. And the clutter may spread to a person's car, their yard, storage facilities, and the garage Really, there's no reason to have a storage facility if you live in an apartment or a home, (laughs) unless you are, you know, storing a a fancy car or something like that. But that's it. That's a sign that you have too much. And, And we are a consumer society. But hoarding ranges from mild to severe. It usually starts when somebody is 11 to 15. Um, that's when it begins. Uh, sometimes it's a learned behavior. But these people deserve help and need help, quite honestly. Now, I don't think I have this disorder yet because I throw everything away. <laughs> that's the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we all have our disorders. But, you know, it's difficult for people who live with a hoarding disorder because they are at risk. They are at risk of um, falling. They're at risk of tripping over their items. They're at risk of infection because it can actually breed um, bacteria. Uh, It's a very, very difficult um, disorder, and it can be extremely distressing as well to the family members. And so there is this gradual buildup of clutter in in your living space. And sometimes people don't realize that their family member maybe have maybe is having difficulty discarding things. They may you may not have been over to see your aunt or your cousin or your friend. And when you finally are allowed to go there and to go into the home, you may be shocked at what you see. As a person grows older, once this begins, they typically start acquiring things in the early adolescent years, and by middle age, the symptoms are often so severe, and they become more and more difficult to treat. Uh, I have Dale from Calgary on the line. Hello, Dale. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I just had one question about, um, you call it hoarders, (laughs) but... uh, Family photographs. Uh, we love them. We do. And we don't like to let them go. And uh, it's very difficult. Um, is that hoarding? I, I don't think that necessarily falls under hoarding. It's a great question, Dale. I really appreciate it. And I come from a large family, and I have a project underway. Of course, we have... I remember my grandmother saying that when her house was sold, um, she... that. They, she had left the photographs in her basement and somebody had taken them or taken them and, and thrown them away. The new owners took them and threw them all away. And I was heartbroken for her. Um, 
and and of course, I would have liked to have seen those photographs. But of course, um, my family has an excessive amount of photos, and so what I have done is gone through all of the photos. It's it's almost done the project, not quite, and I have tossed out all of the doubles or the unflattering ones, and I have created a photo album for each one of my siblings. Don't tell them; none of them are listening tonight. I have six of them. <laughs> Yeah, I got two brothers and sisters, and I inherited photographs. Yes, nice. And I'm in the I'm in the process of uh, moving on, and I'm looking at these photographs, and I'm saying, uh, "What now?" Well, you can cull them. You know, just cull them. Maybe put a few that mean something into um, a photo album and and keep it for yourself or your kids but i wouldn't it doesn't constitute a hoarding disorder because hoarding disorders are uh it's a excessively acquiring items that are not needed or for which there's no space persistently having difficulty throwing out or parting with your things regardless of the actual value building up of clutter to the point where rooms become unusable the shower is unusable usable the bathroom is unusable a second bedroom is unusable people with hoarding disorder have a tendency toward indecisiveness perfectionism avoidance problems with planning and organizing, and the big one, procrastination. And excessive acquiring and refusing to discard items results in having excessive amounts of newspapers, clothes, paperwork, sentimental items, and they're all disorganized and they are thrown all over the place. And this can actually cause conflict with others who try to to reduce the amount of clutter you have in your home. It can cause significant stress for um, yourself, uh, problems functioning, and remaining safe in your home. Because people who are, uh, as they advance in age, maybe they're on medications, they may have short-term memory loss, they may have dizziness, they're at risk of tripping over these things and falling. Uh, people with a hoarding disorder typically save the items because they believe the items are unique or that they're going to need them at some point in the future. The items have important emotional significance or they feel safe when they are surrounded by the things that they save and the things that they love and they never want to waste anything. Another aspect of this, which I didn't realize, but we hear about it on the news, is that people hoard animals and they may collect dozens or even hundreds of pets and the animals may be confined and of course the animals are at great risk for their safety and the health as well and not to mention the health of the person who is hoarding them. So if you do have a loved one who has symptoms of a hoarding disorder, talk with your doctor or mental health professional as soon as possible. There are agencies that can help with hoarding problems. They they come in, uh, hazmat often is required, depending on what it is, um, to actually declutter. But a person needs psychotherapy or some type of talk therapy. That's the primary treatment for this. And cognitive behavioral therapy is the most common form of psychotherapy that is used to treat a hoarding disorder. And so it's important to try to find a therapist. So if you just declutter your loved one's home, believe me, it will be cluttered up again in no time. So it's a it's a very important um, disorder. As I said, 2 to 5% of the population has this, which is significant. Um, and you know what? It may not actually contribute to a happy marriage. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have a question for me, the number to call is one 877 
1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You might want to give a call to me right now because my guest is Nancy, and she is a Vancouver-based breakup coach who helps men and women get the extra support they need after their relationships end. And she's on the line with me. Hello, Nancy. Hi, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Or should I say hellobreakup.com? That's your website. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. Um, Nancy, very interesting work. Uh, You were formerly a matchmaker and your voice has been heard on this program in the past. What made you delve into a very important area that often goes un- unattended, that breakup, unless by some friends who are tired of hearing the wailing and the crying. Um, but what made you decide to uh, become a breakup coach? Well, you just said it right there. I mean, our friends are exhausted of hearing us constantly talk about our breakups. They're hearing the same conversation. So where my matchmaking kind of fits into this is that there was this this missing piece when people would come and, and they'd say, I'm single, you know, I'm ready to move forward. And then we would have that conversation about their exes. And then it sounded like a, maybe they weren't necessarily ready and B, did they really get the support they needed through their breakup? So through a lot of kind of investigation that way, that's kind of how I found my niche there. It's it's very logical because you can't move on uh, until you've gotten over the person, uh, your your last relationship, basically. I mean, my advice has only been, you know, to get over somebody else, get somebody, get under somebody else. But that only goes so far. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think we all have different ways. And I think it's also various different stages that we're moving through at all times. And our friends are there with us. And they can't really keep up with the storyline. So they end up getting either really confused or feeling like they had that moment of excitement. Like, yes, you're feeling motivated to move forward. And then the next day, it's like they're back right at that breakup scene again. Right. Why do people have such challenges getting over somebody, especially somebody who wasn't right for them? Well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit elusive, but... From where I stand, and again, why I created this business is because we need a lot of social support. I mean, statistically, that's kind of the the biggest thing that really helps us through. And so where where I come in is just being that, that extra voice. So our friends are great to us, and that's good. They've got their own life. But then you also need another piece where at least you can spend time with somebody who who gets what you're going through, who's coaching you through it, and is not going to say, you really need to get over him, or you really need to get over her. Right. And and you, I imagine that you have amazing listening skills, because people want to share their story and process their grief and shed their tears. And, and that can take time to tell the whole story. Well, in matchmaking, I, it's funny, I tell people this every time they meet me, because I'm so honest about it. I had the worst listening skills as a matchmaker. And I, it, it was literally the downfall of my matchmaking career, pretty much when I learned the impact of a good conversation where I'm really just listening and I'm just letting people process. I mean, if most of us, and again, what I do is, you know, it involves like the art of good questions, but at the same time, if all of our friends knew that people were walking into these conversations 
wanting to just process, wanting to just be heard, then most of us would be probably getting over our breakups a little bit sooner with a lot less shame, in my opinion. Right. Um, and can I ask you, does do we have difficulty getting over people because of our family of origin or something that may have happened in the past or something that may have happened when we were an adolescent or something somebody once said or because we just want to have somebody in our lives, we're just in love with love? Oh, my gosh. Well, it, depending on the person's story, I mean... It, it totally changes. Some people, they go through life experience. I mean, we all go through life experiences that completely shape the way that we, we move through relationships. And one of the things that I'm really, really obsessed with, I guess right now, is attachment styles, which are formed when we're, we're babies with our primary caregivers, our mom and dad, and how that affects the way that we move through relationships. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting stuff. It is. And if somebody out there is having uh, difficulty getting over someone, or you know somebody who's getting over someone, we'd love to hear your story. one 399 Or if you've gotten over somebody, how did you do it? That would be uh, very helpful as well. But if you're struggling out there, know that there is help. So I have a question about your website. I was intrigued by this. Um, mm. Your hours. <laughs> That um, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, Saturday, 10 p.m. to 2 p.m. Is this a tough breakup night? So Friday is one of, uh, I'll be frank, I mean, I get the most, I take a look at my stats. I think it's really kind of interesting to look at who's who's reading what, who's inquiring when. And Fridays are really, really difficult for some people because it's like you don't have work to distract yourself on Saturday and Sunday, and you feel that loneliness. So Fridays are a really big day to inquire. And then I, I try and keep the hours so that I still have my personal life at the same time. Right. Uh, so Saturday, you're available for people as yeah. well. Because Saturday yeah. night would be, um, is a tough night, I imagine. It's sort of historically, if you will, date night. I'm not sure if people are dating yeah. anymore. Maybe it's still hookup night. Um, but it's a busy night, let's say. Yeah, definitely. Fridays and Mondays, for sure. People, you'd think people are kind of still thinking about work or excited about the weekend, but in the breakup world, it looks a little bit different. So good catch there. So on Mondays, um, you know, have people broken up over the weekend or has it been that they've been with some, their partner maybe was with somebody else because they were drinking excessively and, and so they're, you know, it's over, uh, only they're grieving and they're upset and they don't necessarily want to break up? Or are those some of the stories that you hear out there? I hear an array of stories. Um, what I will say is I did quite a bit of research on this and I had chats um, with a lot of people and I do ask, I do actually ask that question. And so Bringing, um, bringing up, you know, Friday and Monday being big days because, yeah, as you said, like people are maybe they are getting a little bit drunk and then being open to sharing dissatisfaction in their relationship or maybe they're drunk texting their ex or whatever that might be. And so Monday could be difficult for that reason. And then we've got the Friday where they're just they're really worried about being alone on the weekend. 
I was reviewing my breakups with my niece recently <laughs> when I was back east because she started with how many boyfriends did you have? And I said, I didn't really have that many. And then I started remembering <laughs> all the boyfriends I had. <laughs> and she was like, wow. And I, I had forgotten most of them. But anyway, <laughs> they were coming back to my memory. But one time, I what what was a pattern in my relationships was uh, the profoundness of the breakups. They were all magnificent in a way or, or um, you know, in an extraordinary way. For I'll give you an example. I, I was going out with this pilot for a while and, um, and I didn't really like him, but he, he really liked me. <laughs> and, um, and so then, but then he kind of grew on me a little bit and I started to really like him. And we were out for dinner and and he would call me um okay i'm not going to go that i'm not going to go that deep into it but <laughs> so i went to the he got up from the table and i went to the bathroom and i walked past him and he was on his phone and he was calling his ex-girlfriend and uh and so i realized you know it was just an aha moment and i realized and i just started to cry because that's my natural response and and he said ah oh, rays that was my nickname um i won't say why uh I didn't mean to hurt you. And, you know, it was kind of one of those, like, I didn't even like this guy. And then he grew on me. And yeah. and I did have a chance to speak to him later. And he did marry Jane, you know, several years later. And he married Jane and he divorced Jane, too. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, karma never forgets an address. Um, but, you know, I realized when I was looking back, I'd had some significant breakups. And so they can be very difficult um, for you and uh, or for, for me, for anybody out there. But all of us have had a broken heart, I think, at least uh, 20 or 30 times. Some people love harder than others. Do you find that those people have more difficulty getting over somebody? Well, you know, the people coming to me, they're, you know, it. It's funny, like, our emotions, like, they don't discriminate. So it doesn't matter, you know, how smart you are, how educated you are, or how many places you've been in the world. You know, you're going to feel the way that you feel. And so people are coming to me at different stages of their breakup. And, in fact, people are actually coming to me um, in wanting to make a decision as to whether or not that's the right decision for them to even break up. So that was actually something interesting. But... Um, you know, at the end of the day, people are coming to me because they want to get their power back because they feel like they've lost their identity. They've lost this sense of power or control, and they don't want uncertainty to take over their lives. So they're all going through this, this, like all the emotions of the rainbow at once by the time they get to me. Of course. And do you deal more with married couples uh, breaking up or with people who have not yet married who are just going out? I would say um, like 70% of the people that I'm dealing with are, have never been married and they're in relationships or um, I deal with people who are um, divorced and like maybe in their 50s. So it's kind of like two wow. distinct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And having difficulty getting over um, their their ex or is that is that the difficulty yeah. that they're having? Yeah, there. I think there's a... They have this question, like, I don't know why it's so hard for me to get over this person. Like, Who treated may... me like dirt. No. <laughs> yeah, like... Exactly. They're, they're curious, like, why are they 
such smart people, yet they don't know what to do when it comes to their emotions. Like they're they're curious, but they're very confused at the same time. I think it would be really helpful uh, for people who are just who maybe have found out that their husband is cheating and they don't want to stay with him or they found out that their wife is cheating. They don't want to stay with her or, you know, they're they're starting out in the divorce and they have children. They're starting on the divorce path and they have children. They have so much anger toward Mm -hmm. the partner, but they've decided to break up. Like, I think it would be really important for them to see a breakup coach such as yourself uh, in under those circumstances, because I think it would be beneficial for them to process their pain and to move through it. And so it would be better for the children. What do you think? I love the idea. Firstly, I love the idea of there being a, a mandatory parenting uh, course as much as a mandatory divorce course. Um, I, that's not something I, I, I dive into in my personal work, but I'm, I think it's very important it's funny because, well, not funny, but it's interesting that there's just in divorce. I've never been divorced, but I know that they, there's all this focus on the financials and, and what do you do with the house. And But it's also like, well, what are you also doing for your mental health? Like, how are you processing? You know, it's, it's almost like that's a second thought, a, a last thought, if any. Right. Uh, Well, I think that they're heartbroken. I think there's a lot of couples who part ways and they're heartbroken. They don't necessarily want to part ways, uh, but they feel they have to, or, you know, they, they're trying to get over their partner. And I think that's a bit of the foundation for everything else that happens that may be negative uh, in a divorce. Uh, Nancy, you're fascinating to talk to, love Mm -hmm. the work that you do. Uh, So how can people get in touch with you? HelloBreakup.com or reach out at Nancy at TheDateCure.com. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. Thanks for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me this evening. It's always a pleasure to have you with me. Uh, And it's my honor to have my next guest on the line with me. I'm uh, very excited about this because this is a very difficult conversation for a lot of people, uh, especially parents or even grandparents or even aunts, to talk to their children about. Dr. Lene St. John is known as the Mama Sutra. She is a board-certified sexologist with the American College of Sexologists and a professor of human sexuality at City College of San Francisco. She's been named one of the top 100 sex blogging superheroes by kinkly.com every year since 23. She's been quoted in Forbes... Dot com, Huffington Post, Livestrong.com, Pop Sugar, Women's Health Magazine, a whole host of podcasts like, like Sex Out Loud, Sex Nerd Sandra, and Sexology. <laughs> She's a writer and a blogger, and she has a phenomenal new book out, Read Me, a parental primer for The Talk. And she's on the line with me. Hello, Dr. St. John. Hello, Maureen. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. I think this is a very critical conversation that we as parents need to have with it our is. children. And you, you're taking a different stance on it, uh, looking at it through a different lens and making different suggestions. I read your book, by the way. It's excellent. And we do have a Thank book you. to give out uh, to one of our listeners, one 399 to win that book. So tell me, why did you write this book? Um, and what would you like parents to gain from it? Yeah, I, I you know, um, this book was a long time coming. Uh, as soon as I went back to school to study human sexuality, right away I, 
I, I saw this piece that seemed to be really missing. And I wrote the book for all the parents who, you know, know they have to have this conversation, just don't really know what to say because no one really addressed this stuff with them at any, you know, quality level. Myself, I got, you know, puberty education, which was, you know, talking about menstruation and there was talk about the, you know, the body parts, what goes where and all that kind of stuff. But there's a real piece, there's a huge piece that's missing and that's having conversations about love, relationships, dating, way before you even get to the sex part. And, and, and you so, cover all that in your book, which is excellent. Yeah, and, yeah. I tried, to, I tried to take it from a completely different angle. Let's not talk about, you know, what parts go where, because, you know, in a lot of ways we miss out, we, we eliminate people who are LGBTQ when we focus on, you know, P, penis and vagina or PV, if I can't say this on the air. No, we say penis and vagina after 6 p.m. It's okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> okay, fantastic. <laughs> Don't want to get you censored or something. <laughs> oh, never. But, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, it's a focus on what I call the five building blocks to a healthy sexuality and their communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. Outstanding. And, and so this is a book that you suggest parents read, it, whether they're with their partnered or not. So it's for every right. parent to read. Yeah. And it's also for parents who um, may be more inclined to talk more about the abstinence side of things. I mean, to me, I believe that kids, be- kids deserve to have all of the information But yet I know there are parents out there who really want to stay focused on that. And this is a book that can help them understand why, at least I think it's a book that can help them understand why all of it is important. Uh, And so is this geared toward parents who promote abstinence for their children? And I think a lot of parents would hope for that. Um, The realists (laughs) might realize that that's not going to be the case uh, necessarily for all of their children at uh, certain ages. And so is this the kind of book that can address, would you say, addresses sexuality at different stages of development for children? So I think it does. I mean, I think that um, when you look at kids' development from toddler, you know, infant, toddler, tween, teen, they're all going to be developing at different stages. And parents are going to be the best ones to be able to know where their kids are. Um, you know, to, you kind of have to follow what, where the kids are and what they're asking, um, keeping in mind that the first time they ask you something, they are going to be very tuned into how you respond to their question. So um, there's one example in the book where um, my daughter finds a bullet vibrator of mine and it, the bullet vibrator looks like a lipstick, right? Like a little mm-hmm. tiny thing. Yes, I know. And, uh, <laughs> I have a few lipsticks Um, in my bag. (laughs) I love those. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So, yeah, the the bullet vibrator, um, I could hear my daughter coming around the corner, and I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, and so I quickly put the the vibrator in the drawer. Um, But she came in, and unbeknownst, you know, I didn't know she was going to come in and want a hairbrush or something, but she opened the drawer, and she found it right away. And she said, Mom, what's this? 
and I'm brushing my teeth and my eyes are, you know, popping out of my head thinking, oh my gosh, what is this? This is, this is the moment. And I said, it's a vibrator. And she said, what's it for? And I said, you know, by this time she's, she's got it on. And I said, it's, it's for your private parts. And she has it and it's going <laughs> over her nose and her forehead and you know, as soon as I as soon as I talked about how it was for your, I have said private parts at the time, but that was like right at the beginning of my sexuality studies. Mm-hmm. All she did was turn it off, put it back in the drawer, close the drawer, and walk out of the room. I was going to say and, they typically run off with a ball after you've given them the explanation. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was so not an issue, right? And you know, she just. You know, she just kind of bounced out of the bathroom, and my heart rate was like, yes. You know, I was nervous about giving, you know, telling her that, but it was accurate, and it was, you know. And and I think it's really important, and you go through this in your book, discussing pleasure, educating girls and and young girls and young adolescents and adolescents about pleasure and women about pleasure, because I think that um, goes amiss quite often. I loved your chapter on parents judging other parents. Talk to me about that. Mm. Well, it definitely happens, right? No Um, kidding. As soon as you start, (laughs) as soon as one starts to talk honestly and openly, you know, you might get, you might start to sense that judgment from others, like, oh, no, 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 you're supposed to toe this, this party line that says, we're all not going to talk about it. But, you know, it, it doesn't do our kids any, any good to just kind of get keep, just get fed these lines that just aren't, aren't real. Um, you know, and it's, it is tough to be able to stand up to the other parents or to say, you know, actually I would prefer my kids hear it from me as opposed to going to the internet. Because to be honest, whenever kids, I mean, mostly at the beginning when they're going to the internet to ask, you know, Google all these different things, they're just trying to solve a problem. They're just trying to get an answer. Right. And so when a kid goes initially to, you know, Google boobs, Maybe she's nine years old and she's just starting to get breast buds and she's just starting to figure out like, oh, you know, maybe there's this thing I should look into. What, what could I possibly look like when I get older? But if you Google boobs, you're going to get stuff boobs. that is so yeah. <laughs> not normative, right? Absolutely. They're just, they're just trying to solve a problem. They're just trying to answer a question that they might have. That's right. You know, what do we all do when we have a question? <laughs> That's right. Dr. Google. It's, we're, and yeah. Children are curious as well, and you cover that too. You mm-hmm. also cover some of the more challenging subjects like porn and porn versus realism and um, yeah. cross-dressing, um, you know, yeah. and provide some honesty and truth around that, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. You know, the topic of porn I addressed with my kids right away when I think my oldest was nine and it was the way I took it was to tell them to avoid it as long as they could because there are things you can't unsee and I use the examples for myself you know if I think of things I can't unsee. The thing that pops into my head first is alien. When the alien pops out of the guy's stomach, (laughs) I can't unsee that. (laughs) And then also, um, 
Jaws, for example, you know, when that first time the woman is swimming at dusk, you know, in the dark <laughs> and she gets pulled under, I, I can't unsee that as well. So I explained that to my kids and immediately they understood without needing to put it in a porn context, they understood basically that when you see something, you, you kind of can't unsee it. Um, and so combine that with making myself available to answer whatever questions come up. And yeah, some of them have been really awkward. Some of them were unexpected. Um, some of them went in directions I didn't expect <laughs> them to go. But, um, you know, having being available to them and putting in that in context, they they haven't gone to the Internet for porn. Um, the issues I have with them are, are more, you know, binge watching shows on Netflix, you know, <laughs> that which has saved multiple marriages. No. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> absolutely. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, the challenge of educating about sex in a rape culture. That's a very sensitive <sighs> subject. Um, mm-hmm. What is some of your advice on that for our listeners? So, yeah, um, I do think that it's very difficult to educate about sexuality when we very clearly have a rape culture, or I like to call it a culture of disrespect, because people tend to, get, tend to push back about the concept of, you know, is there such a thing as rape culture? Well, if you don't believe there isn't a rape culture, you certainly have to agree that there's a, a disrespect culture, and that can be for anybody who's LGBTQ, for women in general, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of issues around, you know, disrespect. And so, you know, educating in this culture, we kind of have to take a couple steps back and look at, you know, how do we communicate? Are we being respectful? Um, it actually kind of loops all of the five building blocks together. So there's, like I mentioned before, communication, uh, consent, sometimes a huge one with boundaries and, and um, being able to ask for what you want and, and also say no or negotiate, right? Um, Absolutely. Respect, pleasure and fantasy. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fascinating book. I love your approach and I love the lens Thank through you. which you uh, suggest parents talk about uh, sex early and often. Uh, with their yeah. children. I think it's really important and uh, we can prevent a lot of troubles in life. Dr. Linnae St. John is my guest. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining me and and your book, which we have had, um, we've had a winner. Um, read me. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's great. Um, so how can people get your book for those who didn't win? Sorry. <laughs> so for those that didn't win, you can find it on Amazon, um, US and Canada and everywhere else that they sell books. Um, it's in English only at this point. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, iBooks, um, Kindle, everywhere they sell books. You can ask for it in your bookstore as well and they can order it for you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining me and we'll definitely have you back to learn a little bit more. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.